Jordan, thank you for leading us in prayer. And thank you to the worship team for allowing the Lord to use them during this time this morning. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 14. And as you're opening your Bibles or scrolling through your phones looking for that, I want to ask you a question. All right, you ready for this? Have you ever been passionate about something? All right, it was slightly better than 9 a.m., but there was not much better, let's be honest. Um, I would assume the answer is yes for most of you, right? You have been passionate about something. You probably are currently passionate about something. And, uh, you know, people can get passionate about so many different things, whether it's sports teams. You know, I didn't ask for that picture to be up there. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's just someone that knows me very well, and it just warms my heart. I just don't want to talk about the game yesterday. Um, Like the Leafs were any better anyway, right? Well, we can get passionate about sports teams, fitness, music, photography, education, family, politics. You know, there's a lot of people the last few years that have gotten very, I know, it's funny, right? A lot of people over the last few years that have gotten very passionate about politics and um, obsessively passionate as well. We have people that are on, on our own staff here at Harvest that are passionate about some different things as well, some weird stuff you might say, like constantly checking the weather reports and the weather radars and all that kind of stuff. It's always inaccurate. Why do you do that, Jordan? I don't know. I don't get it. Um... We have people on our own staff that are passionate about things like dog food. Okay, that's me actually, so um, i got to be honest with that. I worked at a pet store for a couple years, and so that kind of built that interest in that. Um, But, you know, I'll try to make sure that uh, when you come out to see me, I will not talk about dog food. As soon as I find out someone has a dog, I just have to ask what kind of food they're feeding, if it's the right food, if it's the wrong food, and I just don't want to disappoint too many of you by telling you you're doing the wrong thing, so I'm not going to bring it up, all right? But hey, isn't that a breath of fresh air for maybe the first time ever, you have someone that stands behind this pulpit that is not condemning you for having dogs, right? (laughs) Pastor Todd's not here, but I'm sure he'll hear about this. But listen, the point is, when you're passionate about something, there's a certain excitement, enthusiasm about that particular subject, right? A lot of people, it can be literally the, become an obsession, and that's all they want to talk about. And obviously, as believers, we would hope that as professing Christians, that you would think that most of us would be passionate about God, walking with him, serving him, and sharing his word. But that is not necessarily the case for all of us. You want that thing that that you think about, that you draw your attention to first thing in the morning to be all about God. And for Paul and Barnabas, that passion was very obvious. It was hard for them to hide it or contain it. And we've seen it since the church in Antioch had sent them off in chapter 13. They had a passion for God, for his word, and for the gospel. Now we're in chapter 14. We're going to read just the first few verses there in chapter 14 of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14, 1 through 7. The Bible says, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. 
So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So we're jumping back in the book of Acts here in chapter 14, and we find our two traveling companions or missionaries here. Uh, They're arriving at Iconium. They left Pisidia. We saw that last week as Pastor Todd was preaching through Acts, the end of Acts 13, and really they were pushed out. They were not wanted there. If you remember, they, they, they shook it off and they moved on. There's a map that's going to come up here, and as you see on the map, we see Antioch here in the north, and that's where they were last week. Now they're making their way back down towards the east to Iconium. And... Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's a very large distance when you look at it on a map like that. Uh, but that's actually about a 90 miles trek that they did there from Antioch to Iconium. And Iconium is about 33 feet high in elevation. And so it's not an easy hike that they're doing there. But they're making the way there. They see the, the Spirit leading them there. And so they're going. And as soon as they get there, They go to the synagogue as usual, and they get right to work. They began preaching. Luke, who authored the book of Acts, uh, sees it important to convey to us, the readers, that there was such a clear passion and boldness for the gospel as we read in verse um, verse 3. They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. And that boldness for the gospel radiated or exuded out of their preaching in their lives. And this is true, despite a steady string of threats made against them and people's frequent rejection of the gospel. Yet they were still bold in speaking for the Lord. So we're going to see four things this morning. The first thing is this. When I boldly share the gospel with others, some are drawn to the Savior. Look back in verse 1. We read this already, but the Bible says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They spoke in such a way that a great number of people believed, and uh, this is how genuinely and passionately they spoke of Jesus. Uh, They uh, revealed really through this their acquaintance, their intimacy, not with just a sermon or a speech, something that would sound nice for them to share to the people there, No, but they showed that they had great acquaintance and intimacy with the Savior. It wasn't due to any of their abilities or talents or skills that people received the gospel, but because Romans 1.16 shows us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And then Romans 10.17, that faith comes by hearing the message of the gospel from the word concerning Christ. So they preached Christ unashamedly, and rather quite boldly. They were not simply rehearsing the gospel of Jesus Christ the same way that many Christians do. A lot of Christians, they will rehearse the gospel out of duty, emotionlessly, thoughtlessly, coldly even, displaying such laziness and apathy. No, their discourse was filled with 
passion. And that alone would communicate to those listening, uh, listening that they too could also experience that same vibrant, personal, and restored relationship with God in acknowledging their need for a Savior, repenting of their sins, and placing their faith in Jesus alone. The sad and discomforting reality is that though some receive Christ joyfully, many have and will continue to ignore, refuse, and throw away his invitation to be rescued and delivered from a subjection to sin and eternal separation from God unto salvation. And we see that like is verse 2. Where the Bible there highlights that there were unbelieving Jews that stirred up the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas, facing another awesome opportunity to spread the gospel, knowing there's always a response to the gospel, whether received or rejected, Paul and Barnabas did what Paul would later pen down to the church in Rome, in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says this, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not, never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, these two men were sent, so they preached. They preached, therefore, men, women, children heard the good news. And from them hearing that good news, some believed. So when I boldly share the gospel with others, some are drawn to the Savior. Secondly, then conflict with, with others is inevitable. Our two apostles, they're very much used to hostility at this point, right? Right? Listen, remember Paul, what he used to do before this? Paul was one of those that would actually uh, uh, create chaos amongst Christian believers. He would even put some to death and encourage that. And so he knew exactly what he had signed up for in beginning to preaching the word. Now granted, knowing what we're in for and then actually experiencing it and the, the, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual toll that it takes is a very different thing. But this particular conflict, though, seemed to have a bit of different flavor or feel to it. It was maybe unlike anything that we read through the pages of the Word of God when it comes to opposition. Look at verse 2 again. The Bible says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, and poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's strong language here. And so you can see this was a bit of a different animal. There's something entirely evil and sinister about someone who is trying to poison another individual. Now, I know by saying the word poison, some of you right now might immediately draw your minds to uh, the Princess Bride movie, you know, that scene with Wesley and Vizzini and then the poison, Vizzini dies. It's funny, right? Now, some others of you, you think of poison and then you think of that time that you got food poisoning. And that's not so funny. No, it wasn't, that's right. You know, you ate something that was maybe expired or had gone bad and 
just to spare the details, you, let's just say that you decide to call into work that day, right? It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's not something that we like to think about or go, go through. And that's why some of you have had food poisoning from maybe a certain restaurant at a certain time, and then you've decided, I'm never going back there again. Just don't tell us what that place is, just in case we like going there. <laughs> What we're reading here is a much more serious kind of poisoning, though, that of the mind. How much did they hate the message of the gospel? How much did they hate Jesus? How much did they not care about the people whose minds they would poison that they'd just be okay with the decision of, yeah, I'm going to do this? I'm going to poison them. I mean, poison is meant to injure, right? It's meant to harm, to inflict misery, and even to kill. And they had no problem doing this. That's dark. And I would say frighteningly dangerous, too. The Bible tells us that this poisoning was against the brothers, and so we can understand that this maybe was an indirect attack towards Paul and Barnabas to try to discourage them from continuing to preach the gospel. But it's also more maybe likely that this was directed towards those Jews and Greeks who had just believed and trusted Christ, as we saw in verse 1. And isn't that often what we see happening in the life of a new believer? They come to Jesus, and come to salvation in Jesus Christ, and suddenly a great force of attacks is unleashed against them. All in an attempt to spread doubt, fear, and bring about an early stuntedness to the maturing of their faith. It's sort of a welcome to the party. And this happens to all of us when we attempt to do something for God. The devil and his horde don't like it, so they try and rock the boat. I even met a couple this morning that said, we've been trying to come for a few weeks. and just felt like we should be here and hear the word of God. And I said, but there's always something that came up. There are some people that don't want you here. There's some people that don't want you to hear this message, that don't want you to hear the gospel, that don't want you to hear the truth, and even less applying it and telling others about it. We're trying to plant a church in Alliston. I had to mention Alliston, sorry. <laughs> but we're trying to plant a church in Alliston. So we're trying to bring the gospel to a community that desperately needs it. So here's a fact there will be conflict. What can help us who are maybe new to the faith or have been a believer for a long time in facing these confrontations? Because conflict can be so messy. How about we just cling to Jesus? Pastor Daryl Dash, he's been here before. He's spoken and preached here before. And he wrote an article last week emphasizing our need for clinging to Christ. Why did he say this? He said, we live in a time when it's hard to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't want to minimize, you know, what, what Paul and Barnabas were going through and a lot of the, the saints, a lot of the believers that we read of through the scriptures, the opposition that they faced, the, the, the persecution, and that some even gave of their lives for the gospel, for Jesus. I don't want to minimize that, but I don't think that should also minimize how that is true. It is hard for us to be a believer of Jesus Christ today, to be a follower of Jesus, to be determined that we're going to live for him. That's just a fact. 
And so he points in his article to Hebrews chapter 6, 19, which in turn points us to Christ as our sure and steadfast anchor. Here's the quote I want to share with you when we consider how can we weather through the storms and attacks that come our way. He says this, cling to Jesus under pressure because you can count on his promises and he will give you the stability you need. Whether we're facing conflict or a struggle, maybe just a rough patch in a season of our lives, we need stability. And we can find that in our anchor who keeps us where we need to be, though the waves may crash against us and try to shake us. Paul and Barnabas recognized maybe due to the, the positive response they had to the gospel, but also the negative response that this was a suitable time to preach boldly for God. And I want to encourage you with this. It is still a suitable time to preach, godly for, uh, to preach boldly for God. Some of us, if we were faced with this kind of opposition and conflict, we would have backed down already. At the sight of this poisoning of minds taking place, they saw the necessity to fight back, to fight strongly and boldly, not so quietly, but with the gospel, of course. A full reliance on God is only what could inspire them to preach with such zeal and fearlessness. A.W. Pink said this, as one sees the apparent defeat of the right and the triumphing of might and the wrong, it seems as though Satan were getting the better of the conflict. And we've all felt that sometimes, right? But as one looks above, instead of around, there is plainly visible to the eye of faith a throne. This, then, is our confidence God is on the throne. Amen. Amen. Finding their confidence in God. The Bible says that Paul and Barnabas remained there for a long time. Up until threats of violence and stoning came to their ear and then they would leave eventually. But for a while before that would happen, the door remained open and somehow remained open for an elongated period. Rather than moving on early, Rather than packing their bags and leaving these new converts free for the taking by these wolves, they remained. They stuck around Iconium and continued to preach. They trusted in God and didn't allow the actions of those unbelievers to wear them down in their efforts. Certainly their presence was with the intention of strengthening those who had recently come and accepted Jesus as their Savior. And they did this by the preaching and teaching of the word. Can I tell you this? And we say this very often here in our church, but they were doing this too. They were making more, as we see in verse one, and better, as we see in verse three, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through this, God even confirmed the validity of the message they were preaching through signs and miracles. And that's probably what allowed them to stay there for a longer period before they had to leave when things got really ugly. Yet what we see happens here in the presence of conflict is that sides are chosen. Some are drawn to the Savior. Conflict with others is inevitable. But thirdly, we see that lines will be drawn. A people became divided in two. On one side, you have the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, that is. And on the other side, 
you have the apostles, the side of truth. Look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Why is this relevant to the story? Well, the Jews were a very religious people. And their obstinance was displayed in their refusal of turning from their practices and their traditions to the truth, which is Jesus. They were much more enamored about following the law, though Christ had fulfilled it. They cared more about earning their salvation, though one can only come to salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And they might have been even more concerned about remaining a good political standing with their leaders. John B. Polhill notes in commenting on this section of the scriptures that the Roman influence was particularly in evidence in Iconium, as is indicated by the name Claude Iconium, which was granted to it in AD 41 by the emperor Claudius. It was considered a particular honor for a city to be given the right to bear the emperor's name. And so it's a possibility that they were far more concerned about pleasing their emperor yet ignoring the fact that they would one day stand face to face with the holy God. Without excuse, before the mightiest ruler of them all. They, as many people still do today, decided that the things in this life were of greater value, more importance or relevance to them than of eternity. So lines were drawn. Let me be very clear and direct us to the believers we should endeavor to be. We should desire to live for God, obey God, and proclaim his name. That is standing with the apostles. You know this well and it's hard to miss. You see it very often. It comes up on your news feed and you maybe get some curiosity, but then you realize that many are compromising truth. Many have become complacent and even confused on their purpose. They've come to, to be now just as Ephesians 4.14 warns about because many are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So-called Christians and so-called churches are much more preoccupied with these cheap counterfeit empires they're attempting to build, trying to sell people on their secular temporal philosophies that are only meant to enrich themselves. They're looking for fulfillment in self-serving achievements. But none of these lead to the proclamation of the Savior. None of these glorify and please our Heavenly Father. Those who choose to stand with the apostles do so because it is to stand on God's side. Because that is who they desire to honor and please and serve, the Lord. And so they stood for the preaching of the gospel, and that is where we should stand. That is why harvest is here in Barry. That is why we're going to Alliston. We must stand on the word. Living out for Jesus, being captivated by him, passionately partaking in the mission of spreading the true, life-changing message of the gospel. The message isn't over. But maybe the question needs to be asked. Where do you stand? I know you're here this morning, but where do you stand? What are you trying to accomplish on this earth for Christ? What is your ambition as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ?
Are you driven to know him more and to walk with him? Will you cling to Jesus? In standing where they were boldly proclaiming Christ, Paul and Barnabas were clear about their intentions. They would proclaim nothing else than the name of Jesus. No matter the cost, no matter the conflict it may lead to. They would do it boldly, yet in the same loving and compassionate manner which Christ did. Remembering that Christ, when he saw upon the crowds, was filled with compassion for them because they were like lost sheep. And they did that. And all need Jesus. And Christ died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. Sadly, yet true, it's not a message that always resonates with everyone, right? And so unfortunately, even in this instance, it eventually led them to being forced out of another city, and this time it was Iconium. I want to see the fourth thing. When I boldly share the gospel with others, some are drawn to the Savior. Conflict with others is inevitable. Lines will be drawn, and the mission yet still must continue. At any point in time, they could have just said, that's enough. It would have been easier for them to call it a day. But we see that they just keep getting pushed out wherever they go. And yeah, there's some awesome victories. The Bible tells us there's a great number of people that believed. But it's always the negative that seems to stick out in our minds, right? Their well-being was at stake, and it wasn't time for them to become martyrs yet. God had other plans for them in this time and to use them. So they left Iconium. And the Bible tells us they went down to the surrounding cities of Lycania and continued to preach the gospel, as we see in verse 7. John Stott made the following quote. It's a bit lengthy, but I think it's important for us to read. It starts with a question. Why do we desire the spread of the gospel throughout the world? Not out of a sinful imperialism or triumphalism, whether for ourselves or the church or even Christianity, nor just because evangelism is part of our Christian obedience, though it is, nor primarily to make other people happy, though it does, but especially because the glory of God and of his Christ is at stake. God is king, has inaugurated his saving reign through Christ, and has a right to rule in the lives of his creature. Our ambition, then, is to seek first his kingdom to cherish the passion and desire that his name should receive from men the honor which is due to it. This was the desire of these two men, of Paul and Barnabas. And they can't be here with us today. And so the torch needs to be passed on. Church, it ought to be our desire to spread the gospel throughout the whole world. In those areas that we can't reach, but we can send others to reach. But also in those areas that are close to us as well. Mark 16 and 15 is applicable to us today. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
This is 2,000 years later now, and the mission must still continue to this day. And so we find a variety of ways to be involved in giving of our time, efforts, and money to plant churches here locally and globally, like we do through our Acts 29 network. We sponsor children who need the gospel, but also have physical needs to be met through partner organizations like Compassion or the Children of a Promise Orphanage in Nigeria. We seek to train future leaders to serve the church as pastors, missionaries, and healthy members of the local church. And we work hard to do this here at home in this local church, but also by supporting places like Heritage College and Seminary, who are actively equipping people for life and ministry. We here run programs like Theology 101 to equip you, or The Bridge, which is meant to reach out to new followers of Jesus or for those who just have some questions about the faith. All of this is done in effort to continue the mission, the mission that must be carried out still. All of this is done to get the gospel out. There's so many other ways that you can be involved through your church or individually. In which way are you continuing the mission today? Church, we cannot let up. We must continue the mission of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. We must. There are many reasons why we take off our foot off the gas in continuing the mission. We get distracted by the events of the day. We pick battles that have nothing to do with the gospel. We allow conflict to discourage us to the point of giving up but all of these and so many more might be linked simply to the fact that we seem to have lost some of the passion for Jesus and the gospel which we once had. It was encouraging in the first 9 a.m. service today, we saw three people get baptized and we're gonna see a couple more in just a few moments. I love seeing that, it's encouraging just to see people taking that step of obedience but maybe this is a needed reminder for us this morning as well. Who were once there and took that step? We get caught up in this unbiblical and destructive idea that we once needed Jesus, but not as much anymore. No, the Bible is very clear. We need him today as much and possibly even more And we need him every day and every moment. I don't have a slide for this, but there's a quote I want to read to you that I read in a book this week. The book is called Multiplying Churches. And this is just a simple truth. It says this, The gospel is the good news of God's grace. It is the message that focuses on what God has done in Christ. The gospel is what people, including our people, referring to Christians, to you and I, the gospel is what people, including our people, need to hear. Christ gave his all for us and to the glory of the Father. We have every reason to be passionate about Christ and make much of him in our homes, and in our workplace, in our lives, and in our marriages. So let's ask God to give us the boldness in speaking forth and living out the gospel.
And be comforted, knowing this, that the same spirit which indwelled the apostles and compelled them to turn the world upside down with the gospel is the one who resides in every believer today. As we go and speak boldly for our Lord, some will be drawn to our Savior. And that alone makes it all worthwhile. But yes, when we share the gospel, conflict will also arise and lines will be drawn. Yet we must stay on mission and continue to preach the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, Lord, it seems rather impossible for us to read your word and let alone going through the book of Acts and not get some kind of burden for lost souls. Yet many hesitate to do something with and for the gospel. I'm sure some are here today who have yet to receive Jesus. I don't know what's stopping them, what the reason is in their hearts, but I pray that they would wait no longer today. I pray that they would quit pushing back, but finally embrace the love of God, which we know and they've heard and seen in your word. Lord, we've got a good crowd of Christians here, believers, people that love you here. Maybe it's possible that in their lives they haven't made the mission that you've given us a personal thing. Lord, I pray that you would stir them today. Many of us have used many reason excuses, but Lord, I pray that we'd run out of those. I pray that this week you'd even put someone in each of our way that we would be able and have the privilege and opportunity to boldly proclaim your son Jesus too. Lord, we know where many of us are facing conflict. Some are, are going through it right now. They're struggling and they need you. And we know that you've reminded us of this many times in your word, but souls also need Jesus. And if we can do something, I pray, Lord, that it'd be our desire. Use us, Lord, according to your will. Help us as a church to never lose sight or replace the mission of Jesus. Pray, Lord, that you be with us this week and be with those who are stepping in obedience into the waters of baptism this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.